We got a great one lined up for you tonight. It's going to be a real good time. Y'all pull up a chair and sit a while. We might even kick it out on the porch if Nick can get them bugs beat down a little bit. It's going to be a fun one. Stick around. Nick, it's been a crazy week already for us. We've had all kinds of fun stuff going on. It was a great weekend, as we mentioned on an earlier episode this week. We went over to Alabama and met a lot of good guys. Got to see old Eddie Sauter squawking on a box over there. That was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of neat to to kind of uh, get the day started for us. And we met some great people. And, you know, I'm I'm still building on our uh, relationships there and talking to those guys. We we had a great time, and, you know, shout out to all those guys that we met. You know, we're, we're definitely going to be building some shows with them coming up really soon, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. It's going to be a busy week. It's not live, but this week has been very, very busy. No, we're getting closer to being live, more live, though. <laughs> we're dropping these episodes a little faster, and I think people are really, really kind of appreciating that. A guy told me at work today, he said, hey, did you drop a new episode yet? I'm like, matter of fact, we dropped one this morning. He's like, man, back to two a week. I'm so excited. I'm like, well, I don't know about all that, but we're going to do our best. Cause I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. If we can find somebody around here that want to do a podcast that's got a lawn service, <laughs> they come over here and cut my grass all day. <laughs> I told you, I got a guy to cut it for you. You can come cut it for you. So. Bring them on, man, because uh, doing this podcast has put that behind. <laughs> oh, well, thank goodness. Can you get Kelsey out there on that lawnmower? Yeah. My, Jessica yeah, started right. mowing for me. She said, I'm tired of looking at these weeds. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's been a little bit of uh, time between our uh, our last show with our guest tonight, and uh, he's been hammering all year long, putting some amazing contact out content out. I got a little nervous there when I get ready to say his name. I always get a little fired <laughs> up about it. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome back to Talk About It Outdoors, Mr. Dave Owens with the Penn Hody Project. Good to be here, guys. Dave, it's, uh, it's only been, what, four months, five months since our— February February so yeah. about five six months since we had you on the last time and you know it was a great contact at that point and we didn't really realize how much of a relationship building we were going to do just from that episode with you and I'm sitting here looking at a banner with the KT team logo on here and we went down and hunted with them and so Nick's ready he's got a laundry list of questions over here he's gonna fire away on you tonight and we're glad <laughs> to have you back awesome it's good to be here and glad you guys were able to get down here and enjoy that that group of fellas that they don't make any finer. I mean, those guys are the salt of the earth, and what they have going on is, man, it's something special. And you, you can talk about it. People can listen to me talk about it. People can watch me try to help raise funds for them. Um, going down there to the clay shoot that's uh, at the end of next month. I mean, we they can watch me do this type of stuff, and I try to you know do my best to represent what they do, but. You just can't grasp exactly what they do unless you see it in person, and I'm glad you guys were able to get down there and experience that. It was an amazing opportunity that humbled us in a way that we never would have imagined. When we were coming home, it was all smiles, and it was from the time we got there. And, um, you know, hats off to KT and Jason for continuing to – the outreach program that they've got there and getting hunters back out in the woods. If you don't know about it, go over to the ktteam.org. You can find them on on all the social media platforms, KT Team Inc., and uh, they're, a, they're a great group of guys to support. Uh, they are a 501c nonprofit that uh, 
We'll take donations at any time, and it's a it's a great place to put your money in at. So, Nicholas, what you got? Kicking well, it off for right here out of the gate, what you got from Well, Mr. just Roy? to follow that up, man, I, I turkey hunt with a lot of people, and a lot of people really enjoy turkey hunting and as much as I do. But, man, after sitting in that blind with Jason Beard and seeing the passion that he had for it, every time a crow come over, he was listening for that faint gobble. Anything like that, man, it was it was very humbling to be sitting there next to him. So um, somebody in his condition can love something that much and not – he just acts like he doesn't even have a condition really. Yeah, what an inspiration. What an inspiration guys like Jason are. I mean, people don't realize – I mean, people like me, I mean, don't realize how good we have it, you know. Um, you see people like Jason that's just full of life, man. Every time you see him, you can't – it's hard to find him without a smile on his face. And given uh, the hurdles he's been faced with, man, I mean, if he can smile, anybody can smile. And that's, you know, when you think you, your day is down or something, you know, you have had a stroke of bad luck or something, man. I mean, just call Jason Beard because he'll cheer you up, no doubt. That's right. Well, hey, Dave, let's go. Let's go. Um, how was the season, man? You know, you can just put it in a nutshell real quick, but how was the season? Oh, man, we had a great season. Yeah, 2021 was uh, – was much smoother than 2020. Let's just say that that much. But yeah, we went we went uh, across the country. We had a good time. Uh, birds acted right. Uh, you know, I I don't have any complaints at all. Was there less hunters now that people were back to work? Did you notice that? Um, it was site specific. Uh, some areas I didn't run into a ton of pressure. It got a little stuffy here in Alabama during the early se- early season, but that's nothing out of the norm. Um. But no, everything else, um, everything else, kind of just flew right, right through, just smooth. Did anything stand out this year versus the other years that you've done this? Um, not really, man. I mean, we, uh, we, you know, like I said, it went much smoother than twenty twenty, just given the whole, um, <laughs> given the whole wreck we experienced in twenty twenty, and having to reset everything. You don't ever kind of you can't plan for that kind of stuff, so. Just avoiding any kind of catastrophe like that this past year was a blessing. Um, and um, I did something a little different this year. I typically fly out west to do a little west run. This year I drove out there. Um, can't say that. I don't know. I don't know if I'll do that again or not. Because <laughs> it takes me away from the southeast a little earlier than I'd like to leave. Um, but if you want to hunt the west at the, at the perfect time, you got to a long drive over there you know so you get you got to pull yourself away from these birds here and um if you drive you just flat out can't get back in time to hunt them so i left i left georgia in the southeast uh, i think it was like the 26 maybe of april um something like that and uh maybe 28 but anyways i didn't get back so that was my that was my last uh bout with these turkeys in the southeast and that's where my where my heart is you know so that that hurt a little bit but we had a good time out west and i was able to hunt my hunt my way back uh to the upper midwest so it all worked out so well a couple of highlights uh, we got your buddy coming on actually tomorrow on the podcast tanner burns so we won't go into too much of his hunt because i know that was an exciting hunt for him but um that's not the first person you've been with as they cl- completed their slam is it no man I've, I'm, a, I'm a lucky human being to be able to <laughs> I experienced that as many times as I have. Um, but no, Tanner, I think, was the fourth person that I've watched, including myself, finish the U.S. Slam. Um, and 
pretty cool deal, man. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, I haven't seen anyone complete it and not get a little bit shook up. You know, I mean, it's it's a long road um, to complete something like that and pretty special. But no, we that's where we kicked the kicked the season off, and man, it it tore out of the gate. That's right. Um, That episode, uh, man, you looks like you looks like you got out there early and and maybe found some birds, man, and he. Y'all were huffing it up that hill. I don't want to go into too much. I don't want to ruin tomorrow's episode, but y'all were uh, sucking some wind out there. Yeah, I had a lot of <laughs> comments on that. I was like, you can tell it's early season because I'm like, no, it ain't got nothing to do with early season. And I said, that's, that. I mean, sure, that may contribute a little bit, but it also has to do with this stuff is like vertical and you're over 9,000 feet. So, I mean, people don't, people think you're hunting Hawaii and you're hunting at sea level and whatnot, but no, Hawaii is the roughest terrain you're going to find anywhere in the country. I mean, it is rough. That, that um, is crazy to hear. I mean, I would have thought, you know, direct opposite. That is, I mean, that is. But it, it's not, it's just, it's more of the terrain than it is the, the elevation, correct? It's more of the, like the rock, the rocky, solid rock terrain. It is 100% all of it. The oh, rock wow. terrain is, is steep and slippery and, un. I mean, it. the problem with the mountain is it's lava rock. So, I mean, a lot of it's covered with yeah. that. So, just imagine stepping on carpet, and you don't know if the carpet is catch your foot there or if it's going to give for a foot before it catches. So, that's every step, you know, it's that kind of challenge. So, you got a lot of you got to have some boots with some ankle support and kind of just kind of hold yourself up with each step because it is, uh, man, I'm telling you, it's challenging. <laughs> well, Dave, speaking of boots, we heard you, uh, you heard you was looking for a new, uh, set of Herman survivors or a uh, set of Danners. You was going to use this upcoming season from that Instagram <laughs> post we saw. <laughs> we, uh, man, I beat the heck out of the boots. And as a matter of fact, it was Hawaii that ate up my, my sores this year and i was out there and those i mean those rocks are rugged i mean i i can't explain you can't explain it until you get there everybody thinks they're ready but i'm telling you it's pretty rough um now granted you don't have to hit it like we do um you know to kill turkeys out there but it's just kind of if he gobbles we're going kind of that's right is the mentality that we have so of course we chase them up and down probably a lot further than we should but um yeah it shoots some sores up um and I was just casting it out there to see. I heard I, I had considered a few other brands, uh, even though the Krispies have, have done me well for the last, I don't know, several handful of years. Um, and I'll still wear them <laughs> because even though they were busted around the rand there a little bit, they didn't leak. Um, and I wore them the rest of the season like that. So anyways, but yeah, I had just put that post up wondering what everybody else uh, was wearing and got some suggestions. <laughs> Is those boots just so much more I know they're probably comfortable, but lightweight and more durable. It gets to where it's mostly the footbed, I would say. It's, uh, it's what's so different than what your typical Danner, lacrosse, that kind of stuff offers. Because it's more of a mountain boot, it's made for the rock. Um, so, therefore, they have a really stiff sole. It takes a little bit of getting used to the first pair that I ever uh, put on pair of Kinetrex, and it was just completely uncomfortable. I mean, literally, the, the soles don't bend. Um, they were a little too stiff for me. Then I, then I went to Krispies, and I went to a little bit uh, less aggressive sole. But once you get used to it, man, I mean, it just, you know, you can walk without, you're a little more, you're going to be a little more clumsy with them on your feet, because you can't feel what's underfoot as well, if that makes sense. But at the same time, 
if you're in rocky terrain, um, my feet get stone bruised real easy. Uh, so they'll have little tender spots come up on them if I don't have good boots on. Um, and that was a uh, issue that I constantly, um, battled, uh, before I started wearing good footwear and now that I've started wearing crispies and, um, you know, I haven't had those issues whatsoever. Yeah, I, I could see that because I, I was telling Alex the other day, once we got back from South Dakota, we were mainly walking those service roads up through the Black Hills, and I just had a pair of Danners on. And they're brand-new Danners, and I had them broke in from the season. But, man, walking a long ways on those service roads would eat the bottom of my feet up. They are burning. They're on fire. And uh, a few times I'd just step off the side and just keep walking down the grass because I, I, don't, I don't know why it did. It, just, it was just like sliding in the bottom constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot, a lot of these boots are, are, you know, they're engineered for you to be in steep terrain. So therefore they have all these, uh, mechanisms that lock your foot into place and they have all these, uh, the way their laces are constructed so that your foot doesn't slide and, and it keeps all that friction down inside the, inside the boot, which a good sock is uh, another very important thing, like good, uh, merino wool sock with, cushioning in the at the balls of your feet and the heel of your foot i mean that's extremely important as well i mean you know you shouldn't be throwing on just hanes and dicky socks <laughs> because uh you need the little padding in the right places and it, it'll really take you a lot further in the woods and, and like i said these these boots are made for for you know typically mountain hunting and so the difference between like tr- trying to climb some steep terrain in parallel cross boots and, and these boots is like daylight and dark you wouldn't even believe it it's funny to hear you you talk about the boots and and how the advanced they've came over the years, Dave. And I guess it's you know you grew up you know here in the South hunting like we did. We would grab the whatever pair of boots we could get. Herman Survivors being <laughs> one of them. Go down to Walmart and get what you could afford to get. But the boot game has really changed for us in the South. Seeing those those brands like Krispies or or whatever it may be. And if if you're going out there, a footwear is probably the most important piece of your arsenal because if you can't walk, you can't hunt. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, don't get me wrong, I spent many, many years in the woods with some Danner uh, pronghorns on, and uh, I, I switched over to, like, Keen or Merrill uh, hiking kind of shoes slash boots and went many years with those. And, I mean, you can get the job done with those. Don't don't make it, don't make it out like we need to have 250 or $350 pair of boots on to go go do it but if you can afford it um you know uh lay off of lay off of the uh you know whatever you need to lay off of whatever your little uh uh weakness may be where you can save 10 or 12 dollars a week or something and then put that toward a new pair of boots at the end of the year um i'm promising you it'll be well worth it and the thing is like i couldn't justify you know that kind of money for those boots until I realized that I was going through two pair of Kings a year at $120 a pop. I'm like, well, there's, you know, there's 240, 250 bucks right there. And I just take that money and put it on one pair of, uh, Krispies and they'll take me for three or four years. You know, I got my oldest pair of Krispies. I think it was five years old this spring. So. And I'm sure you carry, you know, several pairs of boots with you when you're on a traveling trip like that. Now driving, did it change the way you packed, sort of? You know, if you're flying out there, you can, you're can you limited on what you can take. But with driving out there, did you take a few more extra pairs of things with you? Oh, yeah. If, I, uh, if I'm if i driving, I've always got three pair of boots. If I'm flying, I've got two. 
You ain't never seen the um, back. You ain't never seen the back of that truck. <laughs> oh, I've seen it. It's, it's like a bomb went off. It was like he cleaned. Oh, bar- yeah. It was like a clean bargain barn out. <laughs> it is strategic the way everything's placed in there, buddy. I mean, uh-huh. if something happens, one of the windows flies open down the road, it's going to be like a yard sale. <laughs> oh, you go through there with the yard broom, just picking up all the stuff. You don't wear those crispies down in South Florida, do you? No, not typically. Um, if it's wet, for sure not. You just can't. Uh, that's where your teens or something like that's going to come into play just because when it, it's a lighter shoe, so when it gets wet, it's just not as heavy. Because um, if it's a wet year, you're just going to get wet, you know. Um, I used to wear Crocs and things like that, and I still do possibly from time to time, uh, all depending on how much walking's involved. But uh, the biggest thing down in there is you just got to worry about friction. Because when you get wet, you know, um, if you don't have something that's tied on your foot and it causes friction, there's quickly going to become blisters. And sometimes blisters are unavoidable. So, you, you know, you automatically, if you're going to Florida, you're, you're packing mold skin and, and um, you know, medical tape. And what was the, what was the uh, God, there was some special stuff that I found two years ago that now I don't leave the home without. I can't remember what it is. Some kind of tape. What's Luca tape. Luco tape. I think that's what it's called. Luco tape. What Good is, stuff. <laughs> what is moleskin? I mean, what is I don't I don't know what that is. Moleskin is essentially just like the stuff you put on the riser of your bow, so that your so that your uh, hair doesn't ting against the riser. I mean, you can get it over there in the in the you know where you can buy insoles of your feet, but it's just it's just like a little felt. It's got sticky on one side, and it's felt basically just to act. You can add padding to say wherever the blister's coming up, wherever you got a hot spot. I'd take that stuff and I'd put it on the back of my foot, and then take medical tape and essentially tape your foot up like you back did it did back in the football days you know um just to keep that friction from being skin on your skin you know well i got a question you know that's kind of interesting to hear you mention bow and you chase turkeys all over the country have you ever thought about doing it with a bow dave and we may ask him that on the previous episode i don't I remember but I, i'm curious as to that thought process and why why you know you just do it with a shotgun as good as you are at killing them with that you know, have you ever thought about doing it with a bow? I've killed a handful of turkeys with a bow. Um, it just doesn't appeal to me in the least. Um, it just, it does. I can't stand walking through the woods with a bow <laughs> deer hunting. I can't stand that thing's just clumsy. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I just don't, I, I, and, and, and then it comes to the, uh, efficiency part of it like I, I i've wounded a turkey with a bow before not that you're not going to wound them with a the shotgun but i feel like my chances of wounding them with a the shotgun are much much less right. um and i've watched the turkey run off with an arrow in it and that was about as thick as a man can get and i said never again um so essentially that was the last time i ever walked into the woods with a bow <laughs> and i uh, haven't thought about it again it's just i don't know God made turkeys to be shot with a shotgun, in my opinion, and, I, I, and that's I, the way it'll always be for that's me. That's exactly what Jordan turkey. Summit said. Yeah, exactly. He told us the same thing, and and, and it's <laughs> it's just an interesting thought process because as much care and and I guess conservation efforts that you put into a turkey, you know, you don't want to don't want to risk wounding one and putting it in a bad situation with a bow. And you know, there's guys, there's they make seasons for everybody, I guess. But the shotgun, uh, shotgun's definitely gonna kill them better, no doubt. And if they made like a portion of our season, a primitive weapon season or something, I can't tell you that I wouldn't hunt them with a bow because I'm going to hunt them with whatever they'll allow me to hunt them with. Um, 
and I can't say if that if that's a far fetched thing. You would think like no, both seasons for deer, and then it goes right. But considering the amount of uh, pressure they're trying to take off the birds, I'd love to see them do something besides just jerking the season out from under us. And a primitive weapon things is something that's been mentioned. Um, and if they say like, hey, the first week of the season, you know, bow only, um, I'll probably be out there chasing them with a bow. I'll just be in the backyard practicing shooting off my knees a lot doggone more than I do, you know. <laughs> well, I know when we were on the first time with you, Nick, asked you the question uh, about, uh, you know, the the game changes that were coming to Georgia, and I'm sure you've noticed that there's been s- some significant changes to our season, and I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole on that, but I'd love to get your take on, you know, what the thought process is is for what, you know, you do now differently for what the season changes are. Oh uh, yeah, man. There's a lot of a lot of changes coming down the pipe, and I'm I'm on board with whatever's necessary. I'm just one of those guys that doesn't blindly follow what everybody says. I kind of like do my own research. If you look around my chair right now, it drives Courtney crazy. But every every piece of this chair is covered by some research paper that I've I've been able to dig up and Google Scholar or whatever, and, I, and I'm reading and trying to educate myself and and ask questions that that um, may be overlooked or, or just, I don't know, bypassed for some reason or the other. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I'm hoping at least these changes that we're seeing come to the season, I'm hoping it's a quick Band-Aid on the bigger issue because I don't think what we're doing is going to fix the issue, unfortunately. I think we've still got a lot of things that we don't know um, because, unfortunately, I mean, you know, Reducing the season is not going to make more turkeys. It's just not. I mean, your your poultry hands that they're recording of 1.4, you know, or, or, or even less, um, just by not shooting the male gobblers is not going to make more poults. I mean, That's it's right. just not. Um, you know, Chamberlain mentioned in one of his podcasts that as far as the eggs that they were testing, like 90% of them were fertilized. So the boys were doing their job. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, reducing the season isn't gonna isn't gonna take care. I hope it does. It'll definitely help with carryover. We'll have more three year olds next year that were two year olds this year, and have more four year olds that were three year olds, and 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 whatnot. So the carryover will be better. But here again, carryover is not gonna make more turkeys. It's not gonna increase that poult per hen. Um, so I think there's a lot of answers we still got to ask, and um. And even, you know, as, it, as far as the disturbance uh, argument, um, here again, I mean, I, I am all ears as far as that goes, as far as disturbance goes with the mating process. But here again, if, if and maybe I heard it wrong, but I know what I heard. And maybe the findings, because I don't think anything's published on it, but maybe the findings are, are different when it actually, when you know, when uh, rubber meets the road. But if 90-something percent of our eggs are getting fertilized, here again, the disturbance doesn't seem to be playing a big, big, uh, you know, factor because here again, the boys are getting to do what they need to do. Um, I just think there's there's other ways to approach this issue and, and reduce harvest and reduce disturbance without just knocking the front off the season. I would love to see those uh, discussed, um, an explanation given to why they aren't considered. Um, but in the end of the, in the end, like I'm do, I'm ready to do whatever the turkey needs. Like if we don't have them to hunt here in five years, we're really going to be wishing we would have, we would have pushed the brakes. And I think that's what we're doing right now. I think nobody really has the answers, but they know dang well 
if we uh, if we reduce some of the opportunity, especially at the front of the season, it's definitely not going to hurt anything um, unless we do it to the point where nobody buys license. But I think in the southeast, we're, we're pretty safe. I think folks are going to still buy license to turkey hunt. <laughs> Let me, this is an interesting question I thought about, Dave. What have you? Um, has Mike Chamberlain ever reached out to you for any input or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, I've talked to Chamberlain a time or so, and um, yeah, we definitely have chatted on the phone. Yeah, I figured he'd probably get a lot of information from you being traveling to seeing what you see. And um, like you said on your on the, I believe you put it on Instagram the other day, you can go online and fill these surveys out, you know. And I I tried to fill the one out for Georgia every time I went out this year. And if people's not, they need to be, you know, just to give. Yeah, for just, sure. Just As a matter of fact, I have, my, I have my card right here, and I got about half of it filled out, and, and then I got it lost in my middle console but fortunately for me i have video where i can go back to every single day of the season and <laughs> fill in because i can go off memory but i'm like oh, i might miss something so that's yeah. what i'm doing right now is finishing that card out i had a couple of those days and i was wrestling that last bird in georgia that i didn't have marked on that card and i want to make sure that i, I remember hearing more than one turkey one yeah. day or two days and i'm trying to figure out which days those were so yeah <clears throat> yeah i mean we're, we're probably the next best resources other than the people if not better than the people working for them. So everybody needs to take the time to fill that well, out. Well, I mean, especially in the southeast, man, because our tagging system just doesn't give our biologists anything to work with. No, you're right. Um, yeah, they don't know how many people we got hunting these turkeys. Unfortunately, turkeys are the most difficult species to count. I mean, you people just really don't have an idea how many turkeys we have, and that's always been an issue with turkeys. Um, you know, you can't fly over and get a population estimate. You can't do trail camera surveys. There's always issues with trail camera surveys on getting the population estimate. Um, so we do, really don't know how many turkeys we have. Um, and like I said, with our licensing structure, we don't know how many people are hunting them. Um, there will always be questions about how accurate poult per hen count, uh, poult per hen numbers are. But um, if they're just a difficult species to, to regulate, I don't, I don't, I don't envy anybody's job having to make these changes or make these calls. Um, and I'm hoping that with more research and, and just more people being aware, aware of what, what they need to be seeing or what they need to be making note of, maybe, you know, a little bit of citizen science will come in here and people like us can help our biologists uh, make these decisions and make the right decisions. Right. Hey, well, let's, I'm going to spin this thing around and start telling some old stories, Dave, if you don't mind. Sure. We'll get off turkeys <laughs> for a little bit. Man, everybody knows. Everybody knows you. That's probably going to listen to this. If they if they search your name, they can find this episode. But let's talk about you. I mean, you grew up. You grew up right here, close close to us in Georgia. How did you guys start hunting? Did you guys start start hunting like a local club, like we did? Or did you go down to Middle Georgia, like some of us did? Both, man. A little bit of all everything. We had a club up for many years, and through my uh, younger years, my dad was in a club uh, in what we called South Georgia, what was, which was actually Monroe in uh, Monroe County. Um, and then we had a, uh, a hunting club in Polk County back where, you know, where the home home place was. Um, but just two leases that, that he was in, um, never had any, you know, big private chunks of ground or anything, but we had leased property when we were younger and we went deer hunting. That's kind of just what we did. It, <clears throat> At that young age, Dave, did you know that turkey hunting was it, or did it take a little while? Well, see, like, I mean, when we were younger, it was all deer. Like, turkeys, right. I, I, that's something I picked up on my own. I think it was through some 
some VHS tapes, some gobbling fan tales of Night and Hell, the Truth videos, All Stars of Spring where the real truth been. Um, I mean, all of these videos I kind of happened upon, and that struck the interest. And then I got out in the woods, and when I would encounter them, they would intrigue me. Um, I've always been one of those kids that could kind of hear something and replicate it. I would used to call doves into the bird feeder with my little with my hands, like doing the little moan, you know, the, the moaning of the dove, and they would come fly and look for me. And owls, I'd always owl, and they'd fly into the trees above me. And like I just had that that ability to replicate those sounds and so turkeys i just kind of fell right into them and it was a love at first sound i guess you could say that's that's kind of that's kind of way i was and like you said we had a we had a club down in putnam county and we called that south georgia anything below atlanta to us was south georgia (laughs) Um, so and and that's kind of where it kicked off for us my dad did a little bit but never never took it serious and and you know and i remember turkeys back then but nobody hunt them hunted them hardly ever um, if you did see somebody hunting, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take it as serious. Like you said, as deer hunting. So, um, when you started, did you mainly start hunting down South or did you hunt up this way? Yeah, it was mostly up this way. It was like a special trip. Whenever we, we'd drag the camper down South, we had a little Shasta camper my dad <laughs> had, and we'd go back it into some slick little dirt road and set up shop for like a long weekend or something. And that's was our South Georgia trip. We'd go a couple of times a year and it was usually like, it correspond with the doe days or something like that because back in those days it, you just wouldn't tree for all you had you know three doe days here four doe days there so we kind of corresponded with those and um get down there and it was a big camp atmosphere and which it was a big camp atmosphere at the club we had here at home too that was a, that was a big part of it you know we had the, the campers all organized in a circle and a big fire pit out in the middle and a pole barn and everybody cooked and uh, it was always a big thing every every weekend during deer season we were at the camp you know and that was a, a part of life for us and and you know that that's part of that outdoors experience that I'm, I'm hoping kids nowadays still get to experience you know what i mean um one of those things is kind of getting washed away for some reason and i think that that could be uh that could be an issue in the future we've talked about that on several episodes that the camp atmosphere that we grew up with is a thing of the past because kids just don't get to do that. I mean, I was going to camp and not hunting just to go and get to go to camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now I look back, I don't go to camp at all. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I went to an actual deer camp unless I visited somebody. And do you think that's something that you, you miss a lot, Dave, when you're out traveling on the road and stuff. I mean, I know y'all probably spend a lot of time in hotels when you're sleeping sleeping on the road or in the truck or whatever. Do you miss that side of it? Yeah, man, I really did. Uh, and it's something that I kind of slowed down and we started doing again. If you've noticed in the last couple years, like Florida was always a big thing because when you go to Florida, we would always camp. Um, and we're still doing that, and we've always done that. Um so that was always like one of the sailing points for going to Florida was, you know, the hunting was fairly miserable most of the time, but there was always going to be a camp. So there was always going to be fun to be had and everybody, everybody's going to laugh and then cut up and then fry gobbler breath. Cause we, you know, luckily we usually get one or one or so down there. So we usually get to have some fresh turkey breath, which is always the experience. We're all, we're not idiots. We always bring extra food because <laughs> go to Florida, if you're planning on killing one, then, you're being very optimistic, but anyways, um, but we do that. And then, uh, last couple of years of, um, Drew, my brother and Sleazy, we went on these out West trips and 
rented us a little place and um man and even though you're in a cabin or in a in a motel it's fun to share share the hunt with somebody we always hunt together when i do that and um it's always fun to kind of have that camaraderie while i'm one of those guys that i'd rather turkey hunt by myself i'm a, I'm a one-man kind of person i'm a solo turkey hunter that's the way i'd i'd, I'd rather have it but that being said it is it is fun to share the woods from time to time with some like-minded individuals who love it as much as you do. Um, and that, that's what I get to do when we've gone out west these last couple of years. That's definitely, you know, interesting how it's come full circle for you. And I, I know that they try to depict it in the, the world that there's a camp going on, but it's, it's just not that camp like it, that I grew up with. I mean, hell, it was a clapboard shack <laughs> down on a creek with a generator that sounded like a, a V8 in the woods r- rattling the hills, and it got turned off, and you had a Coleman lantern fired up, and it was those moments that you take for granted now that I'm older that I don't have the people that are there, and I think it's a lot about the people that are there with us. I mean, that's to me, was the biggest thing because – them old boys can't do it like a kid back in. You always had that Man. one one guy at camp. He would try to see how much beer he could drink in one weekend. That's right. And he was the funnest oh, guy to watch. Yes. As a yeah, kid, absolutely. you watched it like it was, you know, that he, he was a god. Yeah, I mean, he, was he was a god. Was, yeah, he watched him sit there and go, how much of them beers he going to drink yeah. this weekend? And he was usually I still the know fir- some guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> we do too. Yeah, probably two, a few of them you've talked to on this podcast might have tried it in their older age now. <laughs> Oh, but goodness. yeah, people. What some people may not know about me is I used to be a big waterfowler as well. I used to duck hunt a lot and through my college days. And man, I mean, camping was the only option because I didn't have money to stay in the dog in a motel or anything. So we would come down on the Tennessee River and we would we would drive down here. I just during my college days because I'd always skip the Fridays and I'd take out on Thursdays after class and we'd pull our boat down to the Tennessee River, we'd push off and we'd be out there till Sunday when we came back. We'd flip on sleep on those islands and I mean this is waterfowl, so this is during the winter. I can't tell you how many nights we've spent on those islands up and down the river there, uh camping out and with a tent and a little uh Mr. Buddy heater in there. That tent would be sweating so bad because we'd have it so warm in there and then it would be so cold outside, wake up everything would be soaking wet because we also had a dog in there with us. <laughs> So it was, uh, those are the days, man, that you just, uh, you don't realize those are the days until now, you know, but, uh, that camping experience, that camaraderie that, that, uh, that existed then, man, you just can't replicate it. You still duck hunt some? No, man, that, I hadn't, I hadn't a, duck hunted in years. That's, now. that's one conversation I couldn't get down because I don't know nothing about it. Nothing. We don't, I mean, we've never done, I've had buddies try to get me to do it, but I didn't need to pick up another hobby. Does your does your dad still hunt, does your dad still hunt around here? Does he have a lease still? Yeah, he's still yeah. A, a hardcore deer hunter. What's his like name? He, What's his name, Dave? Joy. Joy. Yep. Yeah, he's so, still a hardcore he, deer hunter. Might get um, him on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe he'll tell us some deer stories. Well, <laughs> he'll I'll tell you some deer stories now, but. <laughs> It needs to be a video podcast because he's one of those people that acts everything out with his hands. It's hilarious. Oh, oh we got somebody like that. <laughs> I'm saying, I, I, I love that. <laughs> and, buddy, he can spin you a tail now. He, he will tell some deer stories. Well, it's funny that uh, the way the, the media has, you know, gotten involved in everything now, we would go to deer camp, and, and I, when I first got a cell phone, 
my uncle, if I opened that cell phone anywhere near him, he'd th- he'd grab it and throw it as far. He said, I don't want this <laughs> shit being recorded and put out there for people to hear me telling it. He said, I don't, in most of those old tales, you didn't need to hear any. They don't need to be repeated. What happened at Deer Camp stayed at Deer Camp. I watched a – go ahead. I said, there's a beauty behind some of these camps that don't have cell phone service. Like when in Florida, when we go to camp, there's no cell phone service. You'll go days without cell phone service in there. So, I mean – you know, there there's some beauty within that. It can be frustrating, but <laughs> given how much we rely on technology now, but there's uh, there's some beauty within uh, this year in particular at that camp, man. We were we were out in the swamp. We had us a campfire going, and we were surrounding that camp. Nobody could be on the phone. There was no phone service, so um, it was nice, man. It, it it was nice. On that, um, I went back to an older episode the other day and was watching it, Dave and. You'll have to fill in where I miss it, but I guess your dad had killed a deer and you guys went in and hung it in his house to see if he noticed it. Is that correct? Yeah. A European mount? Yeah, he had uh, he had killed a deer in uh, Oklahoma because um, we, we take it, or we used to. COVID kind of got it all jacked up last year, but anyways, we used to go to Oklahoma and, and we would deer hunt um, with my buddy Shane, the one that comes down here. Yeah. Uh, and turkey hunts with us we went up there and he had killed a deer but he had run out because uh a lot of uh, against a big river and a lot of duck impoundments and stuff around that area so it shot the deer and it had went out in that impoundment and we couldn't find it um i mean it, it was just water you know it was just a sea of water so when they pulled the impoundment um after duck season buddy shane found the found the, the skull of, of the deer that he had shot so he brought it to him, um, uh, had it cleaned up and brought it to him, and we just hung it amongst his Georgia deer heads that were in the in the garage. And obviously, this deer being from Oklahoma was considerably bigger. Right. And um, we hung it in there and then just started making small talk about it. But yeah, he noticed and he says, "Hold on a second. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell tell us a good tale about you and him and Drew. Maybe you got a you got a funny what. Funny tale from hunting back in the day. Oh man, let me think. Uh, you want I'm, deer? I mean, I don't care. Just something that's <laughs> something somebody else ain't heard. Give yeah, a, give, a, give, give them a good one. A good one. <laughs> you can make it about Drew if you want. <laughs> we'll poke, let me think for a second. We'll poke fun at him. <laughs> those oh are, man, those uh, are my favorite kind of stories. Yeah, that's, I know, mean, I think back to those. Those I could think of. I could think of fifteen different stories to tell. And probably right, only be able to go. tear Here's one of them. <laughs> back at that same club that I was telling you about back in the day, um, we had this field um, that my dad would plant. It would be it would be the food plot down at the bottom. We called it the bottom field, and it had a ladder stand on the corner of it, and um, it was a great spot. So to say. And, and and it was uh, right at the beginning of rifle season, and and um, Drew used to shoot a two forty three Model Seven. Uh, youth model seven is what it was called real short rifles i had a seven millimeter 08 and he shot a 243 anyways we were uh hunting i was in my spot in the evening and my dad was in his and drew was in the in the road stand what we called it it, it was right on the side of the road well it got about you know the magic time 30 minutes before daylight and um drew start shooting okay i can't remember how many times he shot but it was something like 
four or five times, six times. And I mean, this is a little bolt action rifle. And everybody's thinking, you know, the whole club can hear him shooting, thinking, good God, what is he shooting down there? <laughs> um, so we, uh, we get down there and, um, trying to remember this story now yeah it was in the evening it was the morning time that he shot eight well he shot a, another really nice buck literally the same week in the side of the same stand so i'm trying to make sure i don't get these stories mixed up anyways long story short he had hit this deer and then uh he got down to go see the deer because it fell dead in the food plot and it was a, a good shot say like 125 yards or so i mean so he went down there and as they as we was approaching the deer the deer got up and ran off and so we backed out and it got dark we went in trailing this deer and i'm talking we started trailing the deer and started trailing the deer and it's after dark and um you know hey as a matter of fact i don't know if i should tell the story I'm, I'm i'm assuming the statute of limitations is up by now but anyway um we trailing this deer Y'all and, found uh, the deer. Just, that's good enough, right there. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> um, we find the deer, and the deer is still alive and bedded, unfortunately. But puts its head up, and and we've got these little headlamps on. And Drew's like, and and, and of course, my dad's like, Drew, you got to put that deer down. Like it's, you know, obviously the deer's wounded, and it's so wounded that it can't get up and get off. So Drew puts his gun up and he shoots the deer. And we know it's a really nice deer, like Drew's biggest deer ever, and he shoots the deer. And the deer flies out right there, and, and my dad goes, "God Almighty, son, what, where'd you shoot it?" And he said, "All I could see was his eye." Oh my goodness! <laughs> he, he, and he, he said, "Did you shoot the, the deer in the eyes?" He said, "That's all I could see was his eye." <laughs> so, luckily, we go up there to get the deer, and he didn't shoot the deer in the eye. It was actually in the neck. So the, the deer made a made a beautiful mound. It was a big nine pointer. And uh, was Drew's biggest deer to date until about a, about a week later when another one did about the same thing, and, and at least that one didn't get out of the food plot. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, dispatching game when you're trailing it, you got your your that's right. your to put I'm it down you're, when you're, you're okay. Yeah, yeah, you got to put it. You're okay with that. Well, if 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 you ain't, then <laughs> then we all going we all going down. <laughs> Somebody's at the door down. <laughs> <laughs> what what's crazy is that trailing job. I look back at it now. Because I I despise blood trailing a deer. It's just something I do not enjoy doing. I don't like. But uh, it's all part of the process. Something we got to get used to doing. If you if you deer hunt, especially if you bow hunt deer. But uh, man, I remember that tracking job now, and I am just I'm envious of my dad's ability to blood trail these deer. Um, because I remember being on that. We we went through a swamp across the creek and was back up in the ridges by the time we found that thing. And I'm talking, I don't know how far it was, but I know it was hours worth of blood trailing uh, before we found that deer. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Because I think it was something nuts in the middle of the night by the time we found the thing, of course. And, yeah, I don't uh, I don't like blood trailing deer. I'm, I'm, I wish I could still say that if a deer did that same exact thing, I'd be able to find it on my own, but I'd have to call in reinforcement. Have you ever done any, you know, muzzleloader hunting day for turkeys I, I i know that's a thing that people do mm-hmm. you know they put shot in there yeah i've, I've killed that. a turkey with a muzzle I've, I've killed a turkey with a muzzleloading rifle believe it or not okay. um getting back to that thing where people <laughs> i was like you know I, ha- I i have the ability to give an opinion on everything because i've done most of it right. uh, if not all of it and shooting a turkey with a rifle has something i've done it was a muzzleloading rifle because if i'm not mistaken they're still legal in georgia which is yep. about back afterwards but Anyway, um, I got a muzzleloader for Christmas, and um, you know how somebody is when they get a new gun. That's right. 
I wanted to kill something with it. So I shot that thing and sighted it in and um, was like, I'm not going to shoot at a turkey over 50 yards, you know, even though it's a rifle. So I had a... Uh, was it a 50 caliber muzzleloader? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, trying to think, I missed two with it and was about to put the thing down. And I finally killed one with it. I, I, my dad and I were hunting uh, over to Buddy's property in, in uh, Floyd County, and, and it was bordered the Coosa River. And we had this turkey we just burned the woods down across the river. We were sitting there literally on the riverbank, uh, big cotton field on our side and big green field on that side. And he was over there just burning the woods down. And I was yelping to him, yelping to him, raising a cane. And, and then I just shut up on him. And then we were just sitting there wait, watching, watching, watching. You know, Coosa River's big. I mean, it's probably, at that particular area, it's probably well over 100 yards wide. Um, and the turkey just, uh, it started clamming up, and these herons kept flying across the river. You know, every time one of them would fly down the river, my dad would go, huh. you know, he would he would think it was the turkey. And I'd be like, that turkey ain't coming across this river. That turkey ain't coming across this river or whatever. So, um, well, sure enough, a little bit later, we heard flapping a wing, and there he come. He flew across the Coosa River and landed on a big old oak limb about the size of your thigh, about 15 yards in front of us, about 12 feet off the ground. Um, and he lands on this limb, and we're, you know, just looking out from under our hat field. And, uh, and my dad's sitting there, and he's got his shotgun, and I'm sitting there with that muzzleloader. And he's like, you want me to shoot him? I'm like, no, we're going to wait on him to come down. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to shoot him off a limb. Um, sure enough, turkey just kind of drops down to the ground, and he is, 15 yards max walking out into this field and i just flat out whipped <laughs> on him with that muzzleloader i'm talking i'd practice out to 50 i hadn't practiced 12 yards i mean i didn't have a clue um but anyways my dad killed him on his third shot as the turkey was running away but um another uh, another time i just flat out missed uh, the turkey i'd got in there roosted him hunted him flew down got with a hen just we played cat and mouse for probably the better part of an hour on a little green knob on top of the green knob. And he had, uh, he was over the crest and it allowed me to kind of get a little bit more ground on him and ease up on him. And when I did, he saw me about the same time, time I saw him, which is all gravy if you're shooting a shotgun, you That's know, right. 30, 30, 35 yards. Um, he started taking a few quick steps. It's a lot harder to hit them when they're taking those quick few steps when they're using a single projectile. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Because here again, uh, the smoke cleared and that turkey was flying. He flew to the next county, like <laughs> completely unscathed. But luckily, a few days later, or maybe it was the next week, I was able to call one in and he was about 25 yards. And after missing the turkey at 12, I went back and shot the gun at like closer yardages and figured out that the gun hit low at that distance, I think it was. Um, so I figured out where to aim at that point in time and, and hit the turkey and completely tore him to pieces and i put it down i said i'll never do this again that was the hugest mistake ever you know but everything's a learning experience right that's exactly right do you you and your do you and your dad and uh drew still get to hunt locally a good bit together whether it be turkey or deer yeah yeah we still turkey hunt quite a bit together especially like when shane comes into town it's a big big event we all get together um and spend some days in the woods um i'm getting to hunt with drew a little bit more now since he takes that west trip like he has last two years out west 
Um, so we get to share the woods a, a quite a bit out there, you know, for a good nine or ten days in a row. Um, so, yeah, a little bit. And I hunt with my dad. Uh, when I'm back home, I, I, that's usually priority for me is I'll trail around behind him uh, and I chase him with that video camera a little while. He's usually got some good dirt that we can go kick around on or whatnot. What did he first think when you started doing the video stuff and you had that video around him? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, like everybody else, get that you out know, of my everybody face. You point that camera. You know, you point that camera at every anybody. They get all awkward feeling, and it's all, you know, it's, it's like, what do I do with my hands? You know, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, they uh, everybody warms up to it after just a little bit of time, you know, and they just get to be in themselves, and it usually takes a day or two around the camera before you really start getting any kind of genuine genuine content before everybody just realizes the camera's always running and luckily I get to edit it. So Yeah. I think I think most of the listeners that'll be listening to this podcast will be shocked to to know that you don't deer hunt as much as people probably think you do. Man, I I I probably deer hunt more than anybody that calls themselves an obsessed deer hunter in all actuality. Gotcha. When it gets here, I'll do it. Don't get me wrong. I'll I literally just ordered some iron wheel broadhead like 30 minutes before we got on this phone call. Gotcha. So, <laughs> um, I will deer hunt. Don't get me wrong. Um, unfortunately, anything I do, I do obsessively. That's why I got to really be careful before I try to get my feet wet in anything. Um, I just like last year, I just have to say, I'm not going out of state deer hunting this year. End of story. I'm not going to do it. Don't talk to me about it. It's not happening. And, um, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I mean, I went, I went videoing out of state. I went to do the elk thing, uh, with the Amars and I went and done the mountain goat, uh, hunt with, um, buddy Jason and some pronghorn with him and his brother. So I was out West, like running around chasing all those weird things. But, um, as far as deer, it stayed here in Georgia and Alabama. So did you eat that antelope or did you eat any antelope? he's got some for me um but he lives down there around kt and them so every time i'm down there he's like bring me a cooler i'm gonna <laughs> alex get some of this goat you gonna get some of this pronghorn alex, alex wants somebody to so he wants somebody else to say that that antelope tastes like shit no it tastes like sage because <laughs> i saw that he i have got my dad's one of his lifelong friends he went out west on this big antelope hunt they come to the house we stretched the rifles out to like 280 yards Shot them as long as we could get at the house. And, you know, they come over. I mean, every weekend, we going to eat us some of that, that antelope meat. It's the best thing ever been. And they come back after that trip. And I run into him at the store, and I said, Robbie, how was that uh, How was that antelope? He said, it tastes like you was eating a handful of sage. It ain't worth a damn. If you want any of it, come get it. That's why I ask. <laughs> I have heard that it's all in prep. I'm ho- I mean, when I say prep, I've heard, I'm, I'm talking field prep. Right, And right. those guys did exactly that. I mean, that that uh, goat went on the ground for more than 15 minutes before the hide was coming off of it. Um, those guys have eaten them, and they say it's better than deer. They say if you get it get it off of them. We've um, heard it from several I mean, people I mean, out Steve Renella said that's his favorite thing to eat, and he's eaten a lot yeah, of, he's eaten a lot of meat, so – he also yeah. eats snails too, and so I ain't I ain't out here in the backyard picking up snails to eat. Yeah, exactly, and eat tongues and and, and teeth and everything else. So I, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't trust that very much. Courtney, you know Courtney could probably cook it to, to be fit to eat. She can cook him turkey legs as good as you say she can. She'd probably fix yeah. some, some antelope that'd be good. 
she she can probably figure something to do with it. But I, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, I was I was assuming that it was going to be the consistency and, and be similar to venison, and they said you couldn't be more wrong. It's like lamb if you've ever eaten lamb. Yeah. Um. So I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of curious to eat some of that, and he's supposed to give me some of that mountain goat too. We killed a mountain goat when we were out there, and um. I feel like that would be pretty interesting to, to try. I made mention one time to my dad that I wanted to go out west and hunt a goat, you know, try to hunt a mountain goat. And he said, he, I'll never forget this as long as I live, was sitting on the carport and was having us a beer. And he said, son, I tell you what, he said, how much is that goat trip going to cost you? And I thought he'd say, you know, I, I want to see you live out your dreams. You know, I said, it's probably going to cost me, you know, $2,000, $2,500 to go out there. He said, I got a billy right out there in my pasture. I'll let you shoot with whatever you want. He said, and I'll clean it for you for $500. He said, all you got to do is just give me the money before you shoot it. And I, I after that, I, the goat thought process went out of my head. I never thought I'd chase them again. <laughs> yeah, those mountain goats are a crazy critter, man. I, had, I went out there kind of sight unseen, had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, everybody says you got to be in cheap shape and then you got to get about two levels above cheap shape because of where these things live. Um, you know, my, my buddy, he drew that tag. It's like, I can't remember. I think he had 20 something years worth into getting that tag. It's a once in a lifetime draw. So, I mean, you, you, you draw it and he's never has, he, he didn't ever have the ability to hunt goats there again. Um, so, um, it, it was a big deal and I kind of went for it with, with him, um, just document the whole thing and get pictures and whatever. And it was some ridiculous terrain. I mean, um, finding goats wasn't a big issue. It was finding one that you could actually retrieve when you killed it. That was the issue. Um, that, that, that was kind of a whole different dynamic of hunting that I had, had never been exposed to, you know, what state, what state was that? Utah. Okay. So yep. where she and I mean, at. these goats just picked the most sheer, ridiculously impenetrable rock cliffs to live in um and you can get you know you can get to them you can get with you can drive within rifle range of them but it's like finding one that you can shoot uh well you can drive within rifle range of some of them like of course you're not going to find your record book billies or anything in those type areas but you can get into some goats to look at them and, and even shoot one but you've got to be extremely careful because majority of the goats we found when we found a good goat you know one that we would really want to kill i mean you couldn't shoot it he's like you know if i shoot that goat and he kicks one time he's going to fall 300 feet he'll be tore all unfit pieces. to yeah. retrieve if you could retrieve him but it'll take a helicopter to get him you know kind of situation so was you in top um, shape when you went out there not really uh i was confident enough and you know just coming off of the turkey season and and i kind of uh stayed you know in that kind of maintained i guess you could say and these guys i was going with this is what I, this is a mistake i kind of made i went with these two guys and just talking to them they weren't doing anything and these guys don't turkey hunt like i do so i was like man if they can do it i can do it i'm not really worried about it well you know that old saying like if you're going to be dumb you better be tough or whatever it is like that that's right well, I'll tell you what, these two guys are the epitome of that. Not calling them dumb, but like hard-headed. Like if they want to see, if they want to go from point A to point B and there's a river for mountain chains, then they're going to go there. And I'll tell you what, you just you just get to point B and they'll meet you there. Like <laughs> these dudes are 
tough. Like they didn't train, they didn't do nothing. And we hunted one day at thirteen thousand feet. I think it was over a little bit over thirteen thousand feet one day. And by the by the time we got all the way back in there, I thought they were going to have to tote me out. <laughs> I mean, splitting headaches, like dehydration, just altitudes, just kicking my butt. And these two dudes ain't trained, ain't done nothing, just trucking right along. You know, I mean, sure they were gas, but like they weren't in the shape that I was in. I was feeling puny, to say to say the least. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I should have. Maybe I should have lifted a quick foot or two before I got here. Now, do you do much training before the upcoming turkey season? Um, it all depends, I guess, on how well I feel like I've maintained during the off season. How much I did deer hunting. This is a big deer hunting season. Like I'm one of those guys that if I do deer hunt. I very seldom deer hunt the same place. I put my stuff on my back, find a place on the map, and I may hike a mile. I may hike three quarters of a mile, mile and a half, whatever, with everything on my back and get there so uh and kind of climb up and hang hunt and come down and next day i'll be somewhere different so i kind of keep myself in shape that way um and just living an active lifestyle i'm one of those people that kind of gets up and moving um this whole video editing thing has really been weird because i start having aches and pains before turkey season that i haven't experienced the rest of the year because i'm usually procrastinated and i've put all these videos off to the last minute so i'm crunching them and trying to get them edited and out there so i'm spending abnormally large amounts of time in front of a in front of a computer and editing and all that stuff and man my shoulders start hurting and i start having my dang back starts hurting and all that kind of stuff so um all i have to do is get up and spend a couple days outside so that's awesome well dave hey we've got a little segment we call shooting you straight and i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the button here and play that and we've got a a question from one of our listeners that we're gonna let you let you uh answer and uh and i think it's a pretty good one so just give me just a second i'm gonna play this little music you'll hear it going all right this week's shooting you straight segment is brought to you by williamson brothers barbecue of camp stop in off exit 16a of highway 575 or call 770 770- Three four five nine zero six seven for all of your barbecue and catering needs. Dave Owens, this question was sent in by a friend of ours, and uh, I'm not going to mention his name. He told me not to put it on the air. He said he just wanted to hear you answer it. But the question is, Dave Owens has one hunt left in the rest of his life. Who is it with? Not what it's for. We know it's going to be a turkey you're probably chasing, but who do you want that to be with? Oh man, one and who is it going to be with? Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> Dang the man, that's a tough one. Drew might have wrote that. Drew might have sent that anonymous question in. Dang man, yeah, that's a rough one. Um, one hunt. <laughs> Golly, I guess it would have to be my dad. Um, yeah. That's a question I, I just I had one more day. Him. You know, if I just had one more day, I guess it would be him. Um, but golly, let's hope we don't ever come to that. <laughs> That's right. Well, that, I think that question was made to go into that. You know, yeah. talk about your dad and, and everything else, and, and and it's it's great to hear you talk about the hunting camp yeah. and get. And that's to, what you know, we wanted to drive on this, and that's what I told Alex, and that, we we talked about it before we started. You know. And we kind of talked about that with Courtney, you know, we want to kind of 
a lot of people don't get back to the roots and think about what used to be fun back in the day and camping and hanging out at camp. I, I used, man, I used to be my days, man, my glory days, looking forward to getting out of school. I couldn't wait, man, for my dad to pick me up and go go to camp. And people just don't do that no more. Huge, yeah, man. I mean, it's it's kind of sad. Uh, I remember being in school. I can't remember if it was middle school, but man, we had a, like a, a public dove field that was. Uh, kind of a community thing and everybody kind of dove hunted that same public field and it was so good for so many years and and i remember us being kids like man when that when that bell rang on that friday before dove season you know how you were kids you'd go watch the karate kid you'd do have to do flips or whatever across the parking lot kind of reenacting what you had seen or what you were going to do and same way with dove hunting man i remember everybody would jump out in the hall and that like they was holding their shotguns up and just firing <laughs> blanks in the air everybody was so excited to go dove hunting on saturday and everybody met the field at like two hours before daylight even though you couldn't shoot to lunch i mean it was just just a big event and it was it's sad to hear i've got a good buddy who's has a uh has a boy that just moved him out of a school district because his reasoning was that nobody in his his whole class like hunted like they looked at him funny because he was he hunted and bought pictures of him with turkeys and talked about you know going to traveling with his dad turkey hunting and, and hunting deer and stuff i mean he says, look, man, I'm just, I, I'm going to move to a little bit more of a rural county just simply due to that, you know. I mean, he's like, man, I, my kid can't even go to school and talk about hunting, you know, without, you know, the teachers looking down their nose at him and without having kids around him even being able to, you know, relate to what he's saying. So, um, man, I, that's just so hard for me to believe knowing the way it was when I grew up. And I, we, well, I'm acting like this was a thousand years ago i'm not that old <laughs> right. you know what i mean it's just but it, it seems like it's so far removed now well we're in our mid-30s and it's removed from everything that's in our county i mean you know where cherokee county's at now and and, and growing up you knew where cherokee county was it's not the same home is not the same it is the same for some of us you know we, we get to live and you know still appreciate all the people we got around but that's right. it's just not the same it's not the same georgia it's not the same people hear Georgia and they say, oh, you're from Atlanta. No, I'm about 60 miles north of Atlanta up there in God's country, and that's what I try <laughs> yeah. to tell them. And no, no doubt, man. I go to Atlanta, I try to try to avoid that place like a plague. That's right. Hey, Dave, what would you think of that? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions. I know we're running a little uh, long here, and Courtney may have you some chores to do. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm going fishing when I get off here. <laughs> uh, what did you, uh, what'd you think of that new 20 gauge this year? Man, I liked it. Took a little getting used to. Just the uh, it pointed a little different. It, uh, if you know anything about the Franke versus Benelli, it the weight in the front of a Benelli, weight in the back of a. Uh, I mean, weight in the front of a Franke, weight in the back of a Benelli. It kind of pointed a little different. Took me a little getting used to. Um, I will not say I trust it as much as I do my Franke still to this day after coating it around for the majority of the season. I had a couple goofs with that gun that I still scratching my head about. Um, you'll get to see them, don't worry. Mm-hmm. So, um, for those people, like man, he's he's a hero. He's a turkey hunting. He's a turkey hunting legend. Like <laughs> no nah, man, he screws up just as bad as everybody else. He's no, he is no legend. He is no nobody to look up to. I mean, he's just a normal old guy, and he's gonna goof up behind that gun just like the next guy. And you get to watch a couple of those. Um, this upcoming season so um that being said i'm not blaming it on the gun <laughs> right right 
What about that near-death experience you guys had out there on that canyon in Arizona trying to take that photo? <laughs> no, I don't man. know that it was near-death for Dave as much as it was dragging <laughs> Paul and Courtney I, up there. I had to bring it back. I had no idea that she was – I mean, granted, like we went over this during the deer hunting days, like her getting up in a tree stand and, you know, her, you know, um, this fear of height has magnified. Because let me tell you, if you go back and you dig into the hunt, the stuff I have on YouTube, you get to watch Courtney kill her first and second deer with the bow. That stand we were in during that hunt was a death trap. I'm talking an absolute catastrophe. I'm talking <laughs> we had spikes in a pine tree and spikes, a combination of spikes and trees, screw in tree steps that had been in there for two or three years and had grown halfway into the tree. So there would have been about four inches of the steps coming out of the side of the tree and had this lock on it was literally and i know everybody exaggerates and whatever if the sand wasn't 32 foot it was not a foot okay <laughs> we had this sand up in this pine tree because it was kind of down in a little bit of a hole and it was on the field edge and we got it real high and i remember this was before lifelines or whatever i think she was wearing a safety harness i'm fairly certain we had on safety harnesses <laughs> Probably the single but, strap across. Yeah, right underneath the arms, <laughs> one single strap. But I know good and dang well that there was no safety harnesses used when we were going up and down, put it that way. Right. Because I remember being a nervous wreck with her getting in that sand. And to the point where I was like, okay, no, we're not doing this. We're going to figure something out. No, I'll get it. No, I'll get it. And she got up in that sand with me behind her on the steps below her going, she's going to fall and I'm going to have to catch her and I'm going to have to figure out how to get down. <laughs> but... um I remember getting her, she, her getting in that stand, and when we got up there in that stand, I remember looking at her going, I hope we kill a deer tonight, because you will never be in this stand again. <laughs> like, and she ended up killing two out of that stand, but um, she would not do that now. For You could not pay her enough to do that right now. So, anyways, that fear of height has magnified with age. I guess, what is it, with age comes Wisdom. You get wiser with age or whatever you say yeah. it is. Yeah. Age brings but, all um, wisdom. <laughs> but, yeah, so I took her out there, uh, and you do have to walk a little tightrope, but it's, it's a little, you know, some people done it, so it's like a little bit of a path. But um, it's a lot more intimidating than it really is, at least on one side. Um, but you do have to climb up on, like, a little rock face or whatever. And, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really realize her fear of heights was that that bad until we got there and i mean there was tears and everything else and i was like i'm not gonna let you fall and so then i have to let her go to go get the camera so it was kind of a i was hoping she wouldn't fall i was like man if you fall this is gonna be really bad because i promised her with everything that i have that i wouldn't let anything happen to her. But she oh, pulled it off. dude i tell you what though man ain't ain't many people gonna get to share a, a memory like that that's a for sure, man. that's an for unbelievable sure. picture and, and the experience that you guys had on that day. I'm sure it was. And coming from Georgia and getting to go to a place like that, you know, we're we're right here in North Georgia where where y'all grew up. I mean, within 30, 30, 35 miles of of everywhere y'all grew up and ran around that. It's it's pretty neat to see somebody that's living out their dreams the way that y'all get to and go and do the things that y'all get to do. And that's one thing I guess it's. I'm I'm not a big turkey hunter, but it's really grabbed me and grabbed my attention to see you guys going out there and living that life that you're getting to live and 
what a blessing it's got to be to see those places that you grew up hearing about in school books like we was. You remember reading in geo- geography class or, or uh, science class or whatever it may have been, you, you looked at social studies and everything else of the Grand Canyon or of places out west, and who would have thought you'd be out there killing turkeys? That's it's just an awesome thing y'all are doing, man. It's a blessing for sure. I mean, you can't find a better reason to visit places other than to get to chase turkeys. But if anybody, even if you're not into chasing turkeys, man, I mean, I urge people to go do it because let me tell you something. I mean, we're dying every day we wake up. You know what I mean? I mean, every day is a blessing and better utilize it because you can't ever tell when tomorrow's going to come, you know, uh, or if it's not going to come. So, I mean, not to get all spiritual and, 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 uh, you know, all, all mushy here, but man, I'll tell you what, like, Doing what I've done and, it's, and and the inspiration that what a little YouTube channel has given other people, um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, there's a lot of stuff and people um, starting to look at this traveling turkey hunting stuff as, as more negative than positive. But, man, if they would just slow down and realize what it's really become, um, if the turkey population would, it wasn't doing what it's doing, there wouldn't be any talk of this stuff. You know what I mean? But, um there's positives that far outweigh the negatives when it comes to this, uh, this traveling turkey hunting thing. Um, as long as everybody ap- appreciates it for what it is and doesn't try to overdo it. Um, you know, there's going to be bad apples in every crowd. And I think if we just as turkey hunters call those bad apples out and then make sure that they're not glorified, which is exactly why they're, they're, you know, pulling some of the stunts they are because they want the recognition of, of being something or, you know, and, and we got to slow down and make sure we're, we're keeping this thing grounded and, and centered around the turkey and everybody's just uh, there for a common common goal and, and traveling is, is part of the turkey hunting thing for me. Um, if you told me that I could only turkey hunt at home, I would, but it would be a huge disappointment every spring to not go see new ground and, you know, just experience and meet people that you've never had an opportunity to meet. I've got friends all over the country now just due to living out of the back of my truck and then talking about how crazy I am. So um, I would urge anybody that hasn't done it to do it. Um, just because you gotta, you're going to go travel to two new states does not mean you've got to go chase the U.S. lamb. I mean, it seems like anybody that it, it goes and, and hunts a couple states now is chasing the U.S. lamb, and I would not suggest that to anybody. Sure, if you get down that road and, and you want to do that, just do it at your own pace and enjoy it. Man, don't see it as a challenge. Don't see it as a don't see it as like uh, something you got to do on a timeline because you'll blow through it and you, uh, you know, you'll, you'll blow through it without realizing that you're, that you're on the trip of a journey or a journey of, of a lifetime. I said this on the, I don't know if you listened to the full episode when we had Courtney on and I told her this, Dave, and man, I, I really do appreciate it. I don't, you know, this podcast has brought a lot of light to myself and the way I do things and, and, and speaking with you and, and always watching you hunt. You know, and I, and I hope you don't ever think that anybody's copying anything that you're doing. But, you know, this year I went out of state and started hunting. I started videoing myself. And even the first turkey I killed this year, I just sat back like you guys do and just kind of told the story to myself and, and just felt blessed that I could sit there and do that. And it's not – I'm not trying to take, you know, a page out – maybe I am taking a page out of your book. But, you know, I'm not trying to – I shouldn't say copy you, even though I may be in people's eyes – what you're doing for people in the outdoors is more than you know that you're doing, I believe. Cause there's people that I know that hunt with me and are friends with me that look up to you just as, as much as a big brother. And I mean, you're a, for the Southeast and I'm sure all across the world, man, about anywhere 
I wore that pin hoodie hat turkey hunting this year. Everybody knew exactly what that meant, or if they seen it on my <laughs> shirt, I mean, they knew exactly what that was, and you didn't have to explain to them. So, um, I don't know, man. Well, that's I, good. I just hope it always stays in a positive light, and I'm always up for discussion. If anybody has anything negative to say about what I've done, or and 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 you know, with the issues with the turkeys, there's beginning to be more negative talk about, like I said, traveling turkey hunting and people that showcase public land hunting and stuff and i'm always up for discussion um i'm not one of these guys that is going to do something knowing that it's hurting the resource um i'm not one of these guys that's not going to listen just because i don't want to hear what you've got to say because i don't really want you to prove a point to me i'm always up for discussion and with this with this like social media and youtube and, and stuff um there's really two avenues that it goes it, it it basically kind of attacks the the morals that surround turkey hunting, like the uh, the respect for the bird and that kind of thing. And then on the other hand, the other big issue that you have with social media is just the abundance of pressure that it could you know potentially cause. And um, as far as the morals and the respect of the bird, that's the whole reason I started the Dog on Pinhody project. I saw media showcasing and making a mockery out of out of turkey hunting. I saw a lot of stuff happening in the turkey hunting world that. I felt was distasteful and basically I couldn't stomach it. In 2017, I signed off social media in February and I didn't pick it back up until turkey season was over because I just didn't like the way I was seeing something that I held so near and dear being portrayed. And I, I just, it was, it was just something that I couldn't stomach. So I signed out and didn't touch it uh, until finally some guys that were like, you know, seen some of my video stuff said, dude, like you got to fight fire with fire. Like the only way that, you know, that we're going to get a handle on, on the route that turkey hunting is going and try to at least slow it down or, you know, save the image, so to speak, is to, um, for somebody like you, somebody that practices turkey hunting like you do, um, to show it. And that, and that that's what I did. I mean, I, I started the whole dang thing to save that lure, uh, the lure that, that surrounds turkey hunting, the, 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 uh, the mystique that comes with turkey hunting, that, tradition those traditional values of the one-on-one you know the communication the everything that goes into turkey that's why i started the whole thing um so i hope i'm battling that that part of the social media now as far as the the overpopulating of the public lands and the added pressure and whatnot i mean i can't say what i've done has helped or hurt that you know i can't it's definitely added pressure, and if you if you view added pressure as a negative thing, then then by all means, then, then you can say that I've that I've hurt turkey hunting, which I never intended to do. But I will, you know, steers the folks to realize that you know if you look at an average, the average age of the of the hunting license buyer is growing every year, which means our our, our people that are buying license that are funding conservation is getting closer and closer to not funding conservation. You know, we don't have you don't have many young people. Uh, entering the sport now um if you look deeper into that number the southeast is one of those areas that the hunting license are holding steady or maybe even increasing in some areas like alabama but as a whole um you know our people out west and our people in the midwest they aren't they aren't they aren't pulling their weight us folks in the southeast we're doing all right so um that's something that that that's there but you know as far as things to consider when you look at that side of the um, of the coin that adding pressure i mean you're seeing states reduce limits and, and reduce seasons and, and that has a lot more to do with the turkey population than what 
you know, the guys on YouTube are showing it. But I can't say that adding pressure to different states is going to help those situations, you know. Um, but that being said, I think denying anybody the right to, to hunt's a bad thing. And, and who am I to, to not showcase, like I said, and like we just discussed, I mean, I've had experiences that, that define me that, you know, and I, I would hate for somebody to go their whole life without just a little bit of inspiration that a YouTube video could give them to, to pack their truck and go have the experience of a lifetime. I mean, they'll die without it. I mean, how greedy would it be for somebody to then die them the right just because they don't want a little pressure in their on their public public land, you know? So that's right. Well, um, I, I would say nine out of ten of those people that are complaining that might be hunting public land now because of you or some other people probably are not willing to put in the work that you're willing to put in, and some other people are. That's right. So yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that that. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that there's not been some bad that's come along with this thing. I mean, there's good and bad to everything. You know what right. I mean? Right. Uh, uh, say the cure for cancer. If you find the cure for cancer, I mean, it's the greatest thing in the world. You're taking care of one of the leading causes of death in, in the United States. But you know how many billions of dollars, how many jobs are going to be lost when you find a cure to cancer? Like, right. There's a good and a bad to everything. That's right. Um, um, now, granted, that's probably a very extravagant in, uh, <laughs> analogy there, but you get what I'm saying. So, I would hope that folks would see what we're that folks like myself and maybe the hunting public and and whoever else is doing this kind of thing. Um, I hope the positives outweigh the negatives. That's something I go to sleep with every night, making sure that I'm hoping that the positives outweigh the negatives. And I think if folks like me aren't doing things to uh, to put more turkeys, in my case, put more turkeys on the ground than they took. Um, or facilitated taking, I think if we're not at least trying our dang level best to put more back, then then we're not doing what we should, you know. I mean, my off-season has been consumed by helping, you know, um, in, in any way I can. Um, volunteering my time, you know, with Turkeys for Tomorrow, headed to an NWTF banquet this Friday night. Like, um, you know, I've been talking to uh, turkey coordinators, you know, with questions and uh, trying to propose different things to see if we can get some questions answered and get on the right track. Like, I think about turkeys every day, all day, every day. Very little bit of my day is not consumed with reading on turkeys and trying to understand what we need to know about turkeys and trying to find answers or propose questions. And Courtney comes home and is like, you're coming to work with me to volunteer tomorrow because you got to get out of this house because I'm surrounded by these research papers that she's printed off for me. And I'm reading on, you know, like I said, these hunting license sales and, you know, it's just, I'm consumed with this stuff and I want to make it better and I want to make it good. And I don't sure as heck don't want to be the guy that is, is at fault for, you know, negatively impacting turkeys in any way. So. Right. I will say this though. And, and, and I'm sure you know this, but if you don't, those people out there that's buying those pinhody hats or those pinhody shirts or those pinhody camouflage shirts, if they're out there wearing those and they're representing you and they watch what you do, you have a big repertoire. Yeah, in the outdoor world. So, <laughs> I mean, I think those people are doing the right thing, and and I think there's a lot more out there than you may know. But I mean, you've you've opened our eyes up over here, man, and and um. It's just good. To, it's just good to say that to you, you know, let you know. Well, I appreciate it, man. Like I said, I just, I think if we leave this thing, everybody claims to want to leave it better than they than they 
than they than it was when they got there, so to speak. But you know, talk cheap. To put That's it right. frankly, talk cheap. You know, you got people who want to talk about how bad the turkey population is that don't know how to set a coon tuff trap. You know what I mean? People think they buy a thirty-five dollar NWTF membership. Suddenly, they're a big conservationist. Like, uh, you know, my, my biggest thing is just put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Um, kill those you know, coons, kill those coyotes, trout. You know, do, do what those you things. can. Do anything you can. Um, you know, I, I, I get my, my bit of frustration with the turkey hunting community, and there's not much because there's this turkey hunting community is, is, is pretty dire. You don't find as many turkey hunters that just, you know, just take a look at it. You know, you, you find deer hunters that call themselves deer hunters that made deer hunt five times a year. It's harder to find that kind of turkey hunter. Usually if there's a turkey hunter, he's pretty ate up with it because it's just got a way of getting in your blood. But um, I just do get frustrated with parts of the turkey hunting community who right now they're not talking about, you're not thinking about turkeys, but come February, they're going to be complaining about not having enough turkeys. Um, I'm just trying to do my part, what little bit of voice I have, to try to keep people thinking about turkeys and try to try to engage them to, to make a difference. You know, everybody's always said, it's been said a hundred times since last, you know, since last fall, I guess. If, if everybody that killed a turkey this year would go out and just trap five coons, it don't matter where, you know. Everybody, obviously, if you turkey hunt, you have a place because you turkey hunt. So go to wherever you turkey hunt get you half a dozen coon cub traps and you set them a couple nights and I can guarantee you can kill five coons. If everybody that killed a turkey this year, they claim that we killed, I don't know, what, 25,000 or something. Um, and uh, if, if, if everybody that killed one of those turkeys would go out and trap five coons, man, it's got to make a difference. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Hey, Dave, um, as we're getting down here towards the end, man, I know you Probably want to get out there and get that top water bite this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you got probably got a buzz bait tied on. Hey, I've been thinking about this, man, and if you're doing it, you don't have to answer this by no means. But have you considered writing a book? It's always been in the in, – I write a lot of my hunting stories down, and, and usually any – any. it's funny the progression that you make as a turkey hunter. Um, I have a deer log that I had for many years that I would, I would put down the – put down the deer, uh, the date, what I killed it with, what it was, the stand there, the county and state I was hunting or something like that. Um, I started the same thing with a turkey log just because that's what I had done. My dad made it through the deer log a long time ago, and it's something I'm glad he made it do. started a turkey log for the obvious reason of doing the same thing. And it's funny if you look at that turkey log, like whatever year it was, 91 or whenever it was, I killed my first turkey, and then I'd write it down and, what was important to me then and what's important to me now is just obvious by looking in that little that little diary, so to speak, because now there may be something on the date um, that sometimes, but there's a little story. You know, it may be a page long, it may be a paragraph long, but there's a story now because I, I talk about the hunt. Um, I haven't measured a beard. I ain't got a clue how long the furs were. I don't care. It ain't important. It's the experience. And, that's what's important to me now. So now when I pick up that little diary to, to jot down a little journal or whatever, to jot down something about the hunt, it's, it's a, it's a story of the hunt. Um, instead of being another, another number with, you know, those specifics and characteristics of the Turkey, it's just, it's not important to me as much as the experience that was, that was formed there. You're mounting the memory in a different way. Do you, exactly. Do you exactly. still find yourself so, self doing that a lot with the, even with the video and that you can go back and look at? 
It is, yeah. I do the same thing, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm writing this down. I can go back and watch the video, and then <laughs> and I don't have to go through this writing it down. But I don't know. There's something about putting it putting it on paper, you know. Um, but yeah, so I've got all those stories, and uh, I got my start turkey hunting off of hunting forums and stuff. Like I said, my dad didn't turkey hunt, so that was a big thing. Like when I killed a turkey, um, I would write a little story up on it and 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 post it. Um, I have a lot of those printed off. Uh, because I, I would, and, and but Courtney, I can say with certainty, she's the writer of the two. She's the one that she'll sit down and write stories about her hunt. And I'm like, man, that's really good. Yeah. And I plan on them. I plan when I get a new website here soon. Hopefully, I'm I'm gonna have a like a little blog section for her to publish some of that type of stuff because I read it and I'm like, that was really enjoyable. Like you have a talent for this, and so I'm gonna put some of that stuff out there for everybody else to enjoy as well. But, um. She's the writer of the two for sure, but but is there a book in the future? Sure, I figure I've always thought that I'd like to be an author, and I've always decided that I might sit down and write down the story of my forty nine or something like that um, for my own sake more than anything else. But I might as well publish it, you know. That's right. But that's probably a very far off goal. So, <laughs> well, you can add that. Up, you can add that to the list of things to do too, right? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, is, when you say that, when you're talking about writing that journey, is there anything that you go back in that journey that you pull up that you have to remind yourself of ever so often that you just know where it's at, that you have to go back and read to yourself? Uh, what do you mean? I, I'm not I, I don't, the question. Like if, you, if you've wrote something down, let's say you wrote something back down in the 90s that you've done on a bird or you had the same situation or, or something like that, or a piece of advice maybe your your dad gave you that you wrote in there. Is there anything like that that you have jotted down that you just kind of go back to and remember each time that just sticks out? Uh, you're cutting out a little bit on me. I uh, can't hear exactly what you were saying, but I think you were talking about like um, going back and reading a story that kind of jogs a memory of, of like an occurrence or something. And um, Not really. Uh, do I have y'all or have I lost? Yeah, 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 you're, yeah, you're you got, yeah, you got, you got Okay, me. okay. Not really because I, what's really funny is like I mentioned for the first majority of that that uh, whole journal, it's more just the dates and stuff. But I can go back and look at just the characteristics of the turkey I wrote down and, and something about her, maybe just the place, the county, and, and date. I can go back and even without the stories written down um, – I can usually remember that turkey, which is the funniest thing. Like I can scroll through that journal and, and look and say, Oh, I remember that one. And it was this. And, and, um, uh, but as far as going back and reading it and, and, uh, yeah, it, it refreshes my memory. But as far as like a strategy or something, it's something I wish I would have done because like my buddy Doc, he, he writes down everything and he writes down weather conditions, time of day, how many gobbles he heard, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that'd be pretty beneficial looking at probably historical um you know tendencies or whatnot of turkeys on specific days or weather patterns but i never did that so it's a little too far gone now um but uh but no i don't guess like going back and finding a tactic or strategy that reminds me or refreshes my memory not so much gotcha well we're gonna see you up at uh nashville this year i'm sure yes sir i'll be there somewhere yeah you calling yeah i'm sure i will yeah I'll, i'll be there you know, letting them take my money. <laughs> Nick, you going to call this year? Shit, no. I might go up there and call a hamburger over my way or something. <laughs> hey, that stacked burger joint they got up there. It's expensive. That's a good burger. Oh, man. Dave, I, I, 
thanks for thanks for taking my text the other day, man, and coming back on. I, I know I know that I know you probably do a lot of these and probably get a lot of phone calls, man. But you have a uh, you've helped us out in a long, lot of ways over here more than you know. Um, you know, with Courtney coming on too. I mean, her her episodes one of our hottest episodes still, and yours still is too, man. And you just helped us out with the KT team, introducing us to them guys. And man, I just I just want to thank you. I just can't thank you enough. So. Oh man, you're very welcome. Pleasure is all mine, and um, and yeah, I'm glad you guys have uh, had to got the experience. I guess I will, I will uh, be glad to, to introduce you to KT team and those guys, and apologize for introducing you to Courtney and having to deal with that. <laughs> I, I I do. Uh, I got one more question. Sorry, it came up again. <laughs> have you ever been anywhere other with bigger mosquitoes and more mosquitoes and ticks than Maine? You completely cut out on me. I called oh, first from the very end. What was it again? He asked, have you ever been anywhere with bigger mosquitoes or bigger ticks than what you find in Maine? In Maine? Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, buddy. Uh, Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. They got a lot of water, and that's some, they some big old bugs up there, too. Dude, um, we got up there to Maine. I wore my thermosail in my front pocket. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody goes up there and they think it's going to be cold, but man, like Maine is a, it's just a lot of bog country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, you go up to Minnesota, which is like one of the coldest places in the country, but they got all that water. And as soon as it gets warm, some bugs are everywhere. It's, it's, it takes a lot of folks by surprise. Took me by surprise the first time. Well, coming from down in the South, Dave, you've eaten plenty of bugs, I'm sure, sitting there waiting on a big gobbler to come <laughs> into your lap. And uh, what we're most thankful for is is the opportunity to speak with a guy like you and what you're doing for the conservation of turkeys in the country. But what you do on the backside of things for, for folks like the KT team, it's very much appreciated by anybody that watches what you're doing. And uh, if you want to follow along with the Penhody Project, you can find them over on YouTube and go to the Mossy Oak Go app. And I'm sure you've got a lot of new episodes that are going to be dropping from this previous season real soon. Yeah, we'll have the turkey stuff. will be kind of kind of we've been holding it back to January. But hey, man, let's hold cross our fingers and see if we can't get up in a tree. We might stick something and put it up there. So, have you got a new coffee uh, that's out there that you might want to talk about, Dave? Before we let you go, I just got the backwoods grind stuff. Just that been Hody roast and all of that. Those proceeds, like it, everything goes to TFT. So that's just one of those little things that we were talking about. Um, you did say coffee, didn't you? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <laughs> <I was laughs> hard say, to understand. Coffee me. or a new, a new call that you got out there. Um, but um, but yeah, it's just one of those little things, man. Like I hope that that anybody that um, loves this as much as I do. Um, realizes is right now we're in a pivotal time to where uh we need as much money going to trying to figure out what's going wrong as, as we can so if you can chip a dollar in here and there um that was an easy no-brainer uh, uh situation there when they they approached me about that and i was like look you know um you know let's work out a, let's work out a deal with, with that fledgling of an organization and and let's see if we can't what little bit you know we may be able to help us just do what we can so um, yeah, if anybody orders coffee, it's, a, it's an awesome roast of coffee. <laughs> well, we like coffee over here, and I'm sure every listener on here is going to say, I need a cuff after listening to this amazing episode for sure. So, Dave Owens, <laughs> we appreciate your time again, and we can't wait to see what you do in the future. And uh, I promise there's a couple of old Georgia boys here that's going to be following along with everything you do and uh, appreciating you everywhere we go. So, thank you again. 
No, thank you, guys. Thanks, Dave. Take care, man. You too, bud. Right, See you. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that was uh, Dave Owens with the uh, Penhody Project. He needs no outro. He needs no intro at this point in his career. For what he's been able to do for the conservation of turkeys, you might think that he's doing things bad, but it's definitely something that I've seen from a guy that's not a turkey hunter and being able to watch him and see him paint the perfect picture of everything he's doing. It's really neat to me, Nick. I mean, it really is. Yes, he is. He's helping this community out more than he knows. And I'm sure he knows. We don't have to remind him, but. He may know, and it may be something that is in the back of his mind, but I think it's reassuring to hear it from just the consumers. You know, we pitch ourselves as consumers because that's what we are. We're, you know, whatever product's out there, we're consuming or just like the guy that's down on the corner that's buying something at wherever he's buying his calls or anything else at. I'm sure, you know, Dave's as busy as anybody else around the corner, but the man can flat out. Tell us the information and talk, can't he? <laughs> he they can a, bring it to us. Yeah, he does. And he brings it in a positive manner, and he's not afraid to. It's it's funny. The bigger the names we get, the more they're able to put themselves in a position to make their statement and their point, just like Don does, just like what Dave just did for us. He's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. You may not like it. That's right. That's okay. You don't have to listen to it. That's fine with us. So. And as we've been talking along here uh, with the KT team, you know, it's uh, it's been a sad day for us in a way for uh, the passing of Mr. Bobby Harrell in, a, in an accident that he had just yesterday. So um, I, I'm not going to go into the, the outro that we normally do. I'm just going to play this uh, clip from episode 43 that we had at the live at the gin house with the KT team. Kind of send this one on its way and, uh, you know, rest in peace to Mr. Bobby and prayers to his whole family. So, as I always say, you know, smile as you go and mount the memories and end the show, but I'm going to let uh, Mr. Bobby answer Nick's questions, and you can have a recap of that one as we as we close this one out. So, Here for a couple people. Um, give us a piece of advice that you'd share with somebody. I, I, it just keep the faith and, and don't ever give up. You know, I, I, I preach that hard. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter whatever situation you're in. There's help out there. There's something, if you need it, you can do it or you can do it yourself. But don't ever give up. That's with my, you just, you just don't do it. That's just, I don't, I don't listen to it. If somebody can't take of that story that you just said and understand that you didn't give up, then, then they're listening to that all wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I hope Cody got, I don't know if Cody got that on video or not of the, the, oh my, oh my goodness. goodness! The expression he flopping all around. Yeah. But the expression, but <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't take anything out of that video, that's that's one thing you can take out is don't give up. I mean, you you showed how much passion that you have for the outdoors by getting out there doing that. Even you know, even that turkey giving the death flop right there in your face, I couldn't imagine. Oh, had that thing's foot <laughs> in my mouth and that well, thing. You know how strong they are. Yeah. They yeah. start flopping. And yes, he, you he can't hold quarter spurs too. Ooh. You know, and I knew that, and I was flopping even harder. Oh, please don't. <laughs> I was trying to grab him, but he finally said, okay. Oh, <laughs> Well, uh, other other than that inch and a quarter spurs sticking you in your face or your eyeball, what else are you thankful for? I'm real thankful for the people that surrounded me when I, when I got hurt. It, I didn't realize what I had in friendship. I got had people come... That I didn't know I touched, and for years and years, you know, people way back that I, I 
took a kid dove hunting or something. One instance, it just blew my mind. We were on a dove shoot. I shot the dove, and it fell over toward another fellow with his son. And I just backed off and let that son kill that bird. They showed up at the hospital. Now, I never did do that. You know? mm-hmm. but, anyway, but the people that surround us in times of need is, 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 is real strong, and it, it's still real strong. KT team is, is a good example of that. You know, there's still people out there with a strong need. Right. To have fellowship and to have a direction to go. Absolutely. And they're, and they're providing that here. So, some people, and I think KT kind of brought this up earlier, and I kind of thought about this too. When KT first said he met Jason, he didn't really know how to act. And, and you know, I think coming down here, I'm not going to lie and say that I did or didn't, but I, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to act or how to act around you guys or how, what you need help with or anything like that. And I don't want to come off and feel embarrassed about myself or embarrass you guys. So um, I think there's ways that people can help one another out there, not just with the KT team. I think there's other ways that people are disabled we can help. And you're, you're normal just like I am. You know, you just have a little bit of a disability. And we, we shouldn't feel that way even though we do, but I think it's just a, just a way we think through our day-to-day life. But I think that people would just get out there and ask somebody if they need some help. And because a lot of people, and you probably don't like to ask for help, um, but if we just get out there and help one another, that's what this world's about, is helping one another. I mean, there's no question about it. I've got, you know, I don't ask for help unless I have to. And I got a way that I do it. It works, especially with a group of women or something around. <laughs> I can't I, wait to hear this one. <laughs> you know, they, I, I'm struggling with something. Nobody will help me. I, I get my lower lip. <laughs> stick it out and wiggle it a little. Oh, they just come. What, what, you what you need, Mr. Bobby? What you need? Uh, give me that drink, man. I just, 